Welcome back, baseball fans, to the latest episode of the Banish to the Pen podcast, the audio component of the website Banish to the Pen, a group baseball blog of fans of the Effectively Wild podcast, now from Fangraphs.com. I am your host this evening, Ryan Sullivan, at NatsGM.com on Twitter and the Baron of all baseball podcasts. This week, I am proud to welcome back to the show two fantastic contributors to the website and uh, two regulars on the podcast. I've got Eric Roseberry and Mark Sands with me on the line. Uh, Eric and Mark, uh, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Ryan. Good, good to be back. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Well, I'm pretty sure most of the people that are listening uh, probably recognize your guys' voices, but if uh, for those that maybe are a little unfamiliar, uh, how about you introduce yourselves uh where they can find your work, who you're a fan of, uh, Twitter handle, you know, whatever you want to share. So how about we start uh, alphabetically with Eric? How about uh, Eric, lead us off? Yeah, my name's uh, Eric, uh, lamentably a Reds fan. Uh, we're going to get into the Pakoda projection so I can commiserate about that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Eric Roseberry. Uh, and then this season you can find me at uh, Baseball Prospectus as the fantasy intern. Uh, and then I'm also writing over at Red Reporter again. So do the BP guys like Craig, are they hazing you yet, or has it uh, been pretty good so far? It's honestly been pretty good so far, so a little bit of research here and there, but other than that, it's been great. Oh, very, very cool. Uh, another graduate who's uh, started Banished to the Pen and moved on, so uh, congratulations. Oh, thank you. And Sam, uh, or uh, Mark, pardon me, Sam, I got uh, Sam on the brain. Mark, uh, same question to you, my friend. I am, alas, not Sam. <laughs> uh, my name is Mark Sands. Uh, I write at Banished to the Pen. Uh, I've been on the podcast before. I'm a Tigers fan. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SharkMGS. And alas, I don't work for BP or anywhere else cool like Eric does. <laughs> well, Mark, welcome and uh, thanks for coming back on the show. So, uh, you bet. I'm always thrilled to talk baseball with you, Ryan. Well, I guess the uh, the first place we got to start this week, uh, I, I don't think that we've actually done a podcast since this happened or the transition has occurred, but uh, Sam has officially left the podcast, unfortunately so. Uh, the podcast has moved from uh, BP, I think I can say the word, I think that's fair, I think I can say baseball perspectives and not get in any trouble, and has gone over to now Fangraphs.com, and uh, Jeff Sullivan is now the uh, co-host or the daily co-host, so... Um, uh, uh, Mark, maybe I'll start with you. It's just uh, kind of impressions of the first, you know, your thoughts at the uh, the whole transition as a whole. Well, I had a lot of trepidation because, you know, Sam is that good. Very entertaining, smart guy. Uh, but I, I think we really lucked out getting Jeff Sullivan as the co-host. I mean, he has the right, I think, personality for this fan base. So he's a little bit quirky, really smart. Uh, has, you know, weird interests like volcanoes in this case. <laughs> uh, the, the podcast it already has a weird hero in Lenny Harris. Uh, so, so really, I've been impressed with the way it, it started off. And I think, I think Jeff kind of lucked out with that week or two break between when Sam left and they had some guests and then he kind of takes over. I, I think that kind of gave him some separation from from Sam and I I I've, I've been really happy with how the podcast has gone so far. It's uh as hopeful as I was when Jeff was announced as the as the new host. I think it's it's really paid off. It it's still as fun as it, as it ever was and uh you know, it's got all the wackiness that you would expect from Effectively Wild. A <laughs> uh, lot of good uh takes there. Uh, Eric, how about yourself? Yeah, I think I feel the same way. I was nervous when it <sighs> was announced Sam was leaving, but uh, 
yeah, Jeff's been great, and I think he's. Uh, it's almost unfair how talented that guy is in terms of typically gets described as one of the best handful of baseball writers today and then can be uh, entertaining on a podcast with Ben. And so, yeah, he's been a great addition. I think the two of them work really well together. Um, and honestly, I've been a fan of the uh, – I know people joke that it's still called a, a daily podcast some, but uh, been a fan of, uh, yeah, a little bit of the, the lighter load, able to keep up a little more. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to what they've got coming this year. Yeah, I've actually been I, – I was kind of almost – I don't want to say happy that the Ben and Sam marriage broke up or, or took a bit of a, uh, I don't know, departure in this way. I mean, they had done a 1,000 shows, and while it was fantastic every day, I, I, I kind of like to, uh, to hear another voice every once in a while in there. And while I miss Sam and some of his fantastic takes and, and his view at life, uh, I think we really lucked out with Jeff. I'm, I mean, nobody creates or, or puts out more content than he does. I mean, goodness, to put out two articles a day is absolutely just machine-like. And uh, and then do the podcast as well. I mean, I just have nothing but respect for his work and, and for him. And like uh, I think it was Mark said, you know, he's just a little quirky in, in a good way. And he's got a, a personality that, you know, it kind of really fits with Ben as well. I, I've liked kind of the first, I don't know, month, six weeks of uh, – them meshing and kind of feeling their way, uh, kind of feeling their way out together. Couldn't agree more. So, what are we? Are we hoping for anything different with them going forward? Or are we kind of pretty happy just with the status quo? Well, I, I like I said, I think they, like you said, Ryan, they think they have a good rapport, and that's it is what we want. I mean, we want serious baseball analysis. We want intelligent commentary on baseball, and we're obviously getting that with Jeff and Ben. But I think. At least for my for for myself, what made Effectively Wild stand out with Sam and Ben was that it was really really fun to listen to. You never knew quite what you were going to get, whether it's the the email questions or or the random tangents. And I think we're still getting a lot of that. We're just getting a little different take on it with Jeff. And I, I've really I really enjoy reading Jeff's writing, and uh, I've really enjoyed him on the podcast. I, I think you're right. I, I'm jealous. I'll be lucky to get four articles out a year, and he gets out two a day, and he's incredible on a podcast. Yeah, I just I, I can't say enough about him, and and just it's it's I you know I, I well said. I, I wish I had something better to follow up with. Anything else, Eric? I you know. No, I think I think that covers it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, let's move on a little bit. I've got a bunch of smaller topics I want to touch on before we get to the Pakoda stuff. But uh, the big news that came out, I guess it was today, and it's still kind of breaking to a certain degree, is that the Miami Marlins are going to be sold for one point six billion dollars in what is being described as a handshake deal, which I, I don't know what a handshake deal necessarily means, but nonetheless. Um, Maybe one of the worst franchises in baseball goes for almost $2 billion. Uh, anybody else is kind of surprised as I was just at that figure first and foremost? Baseball's dying, guys. It's obvious. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, all we hear about is, oh, the attendance and oh, and this and oh, and that. And God, I mean, you're going to pay $1.6 billion for that franchise? I mean, what would the, the Dodgers go for now? Goodness, what would the Yankees go for? Oh, man. I mean, if you started including the Yes Network, yeah, I mean, too, I mean, it, and I know that's an unfair comparison, but God, I mean, the numbers are just out of, I mean, literally out of control. Yeah, now, one of the things I was reading, and I might not be as up on this as other people are, but it looks like this might still be iffy with the way that it's currently set up in terms of um, this 
mystery buyer might not quite have the the cash on hand MLB is looking for. I think everybody's rooting for the team to get sold. Uh, I think Giancarlo Stanton's especially rooting for the team to get sold. Um, so yeah, I'm all for it, and hopefully they can find a way to get this worked out. Well, yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Eric. It, you really want to have it's a good potential market in Miami. Uh, a lot of Cubans. Cubans obviously like baseball. It's a big market. Uh, you know, there's a lot to sell for it, and of course, it's unpopular because Jeffrey Loria is a scum of the earth. Yeah, now, I mean, it's interesting. What I, uh, I was I was looking on Twitter earlier, and the rumor is that it might be Ivanka Trump's father-in-law, who uh, famously was convicted of a felony for obstruction of justice when he uh, was angry that his sister's husband was. Uh, testifying against him and so he hired a prostitute and took pictures and then sent it to his sister it can so happen. only the marlins it can happen <laughs> come on from jeffrey loria to this dude that hasn't happened to your uncle ron come on <laughs> well ron's a wacky guy what can i say <sighs> yeah it's I... a very marlins change in ownership yeah, that that is actually really well said. Only the Marlins could go. For, it, it would be an uptick to go from Loria to a convicted felon who did that. That would be an upgrade. <laughs> oh, that's outstanding. Yeah, I mean, like you guys, like you were saying, Mark. There's a ton of attractive stuff about. I mean, there was. I don't know if people still feel this way, but in the last few years, debating is this the best outfield in baseball? Uh, I mean, it's a new ballpark. It's a. Uh, you would think there would be a lot to entice somebody that you're not. You know, getting an expansion franchise, you're not necessarily starting from the bottom. I think outside the the Nationals and the Mets, I mean, that's a division you can do something in. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me uh, if, yeah, that's an attractive option for a lot of people. The truth is, and there's some history there. They've got two world titles in the, what, 25 years they've been around, whatever it is now. I mean, it... Yep. And really, I think if you bring somebody new in, even even this dude... There's you could instantly, I think, get a lot of goodwill. I, I would expect that there's a lot of latent baseball fans just kind of waiting to go to that ballpark. I think that's it's almost like uh, you know Jake uh, or what's the guy uh, John Taffer who goes into the bar and changes the name all of a sudden just to even though it's the same bar you change the oh, yeah. name the owner comes in it you know you can't change the actual franchise name but you put a new ownership there. Maybe all of a sudden, like you say, people give it a second chance to franchise after 15 years of, you know, Loria or whatever it is. Ball club rescue? Yeah, I like it. I like it. So, uh... I would watch that yeah. show. Uh, 100%. I mean, I think at the very least, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but my guess is it hasn't been an attractive spot for some free agents i know obviously when they were throwing money around a few years ago they didn't have trouble it seemed like signing guys but uh, you would think a, a change in ownership couldn't hurt either making a, a more attractive destination for for players who might be looking to make a change and it was a couple yep. of years ago and, and help me they signed a couple of free agents and then one year later they were dumping them i think burley was one of them if i'm not mistaken it's i mean i think that reyes really was the other was, one was. yeah reyes was the big one yeah and I think that really hurt their franchise because they were trying to be the big players at that winter meetings. And then you, the next thing you knew, at the I guess it was like August. It was only a few months later they were totally selling off and and changing the franchise you know direction. So, uh, anything else, guys? No, I, I I do really hope Miami gets a good owner. It's a good market. You know, it, it, 
it's it's a really good market. You want good markets to have good teams because it drives up interest, and that's what we want. Yeah, there's just no reason they shouldn't have a decent baseball franchise in Florida. They've got two of them, and both yep. of them are struggling terribly. Next topic I got to uh, talk to get your take on is the the Joe Torrey suggestion, proposal, hypothetical, whatever he put out in the media the other day about runner on second in extra innings. Maybe somebody can fill in more of the blanks because I I don't have the exact specifics, but uh, the outreach was pretty strong, and I I wanted to get your all's take on it. Uh, Eric, if you want to jump in and lead off, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I I don't have a strong take on it. I think when I when I first saw it, I kind of reacted against it. I feel like uh, for all the complaints baseball gets about being uh, boring or not interesting from a lot of people, that you know, extra innings happens to be one of the times you get a little bit more drama, might get a little bit more interest. Um, I've seen some people raise the issue, you know, if MLB is serious about shortening the games, which I think Manfred uh, seems to be. Uh, very serious about accomplishing this somehow, uh, that a lot of the ways that are actually going to do it are going to cost them money, whether it be cutting back on ads, whether it be... and You just begin to realize that anything that's going to substantially decrease game time probably isn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just... Uh, they're not going to cut out you know extra time between the innings. They're not going to cut out the seven minutes of commercials from 7 to 7.05 when the game starts. They're just... I think we almost have to accept that fact that that's not where the game is going to get shortened. So, well, and I've seen some people raise this, and I, I mean, I, I agree with this. You've got uh, uh, to me, I don't watch a, a ton of NFL, and this isn't a please like my sport type rant, but um, I mean, to me, you've got NFL games. It seems comfortably over four hours at this point, and uh, yeah, I guess to me, it just it feels like maybe this. Uh, it might feel like a big issue with the the generation and uh, you know attention spans and all that stuff, but when you begin to compare it to other sports, other than you know the NBA maybe or something like that, it doesn't seem that out of hand in a lot of instances. Good take, uh, Mark. Kind of same thing. Couple things. I think this is the worst idea I've heard since New Coke. Wow. Okay. You know, Ghost Runners. Ghost Runners, that's what I used to do when I was seven playing with my four or five friends in the Sandlot. I don't like an idea that fundamentally changes a game, and it does so probably at the most exciting time. Extra innings, every batter could end the game if you're the home team or or give you the lead when you're the road team. There's a lot of tension, and that's when you're going to screw with the rules. And and who goes on second? Do you pick? A random guy off the bench? Is it Billy Hamilton every time? Well, that's going to end the game real quick without a lot of drama. But I, I think more fundamentally, I think baseball's making a big mistake looking at the length of the time. I think, uh, Eric, you hit it right on the nose. NFL games are really long. NBA games are really long. NHL games are over three hours. The, pr- the problem, quote-unquote, with baseball, really, in my opinion is the dead time is is Baez taking 25 minutes per pitch is uh guys who have just warmed up in the bullpen throwing a bunch more uh, uh warm-up pitches when they're not really necessary uh four or five pitching changes d- d- during an inning I mean, those are the things they should be focusing on 
and I, I don't know about you guys. I, I went to several games since they've uh, instituted the, the clock in between innings. And I really think that makes a difference because the enemy of baseball, what makes people lose interest, in my opinion, is the dead time. And the less dead time there is, and I think, Ryan, we might have even discussed this on a previous podcast, the less dead time there is, I think, the less people are going to care about the length of the game. It's, oh, God, here comes here comes Baez again to pitch for 45 minutes for an inning. Yeah, I, I think, unfortunately, oh, we you know, I, I will. I, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I will say, as a Reds fan, uh, if you get to pick who the runner is and you have somebody like billy hamilton you could talk me into this being an okay thing <laughs> right the, the, all the all of a sudden they'll have to talk about reds on the reds on effectively wild if, if this comes up so eric you you might want to come in favor of this <laughs> terrence gore billy hamilton they'll get uh, i mean their value uh, goes to the roof if this happens right yeah, you might actually start carrying a legitimate you know, pinch would, runner. Would bring up, exactly. You might have pinch runners might come back, and, and those are sometimes kind of interesting. So, But I think the biggest problem in this debate, so to speak, is that the, we use the length of the game, and I don't think it's the length of the game. I think the better point is the pace of the game because I don't think anybody yep. has a problem with a long football game if it's entertaining I mean, or a great basketball game. I mean, the Wizards and Cavs played the other night, and that game lasted forever, but it was fantastic. No one cared. It was 140, 135. Who cares? It was great. It, it's the pacing of the game. If all of a sudden, you know, every the pitcher can't throw it over the plate, and the pitching coach is coming out, and there's pitching changes, and the next thing you know, it's eight runs in an inning, and it's 95 degrees. That's when it, it the you know, not just kids, everybody loses interest, and that's when I think baseball loses. I think it's not necessarily how long the game lasts. I think that we need to do a lot more, like you say, with the dead time. And I don't know if it's how they can make that more entertaining for the fan, both at the game and, and for the person at home. But that's, I think that's the big dilemma that they need to solve. I totally agree. But I also wanted to say I might be the only person that is slightly in favor of this, just from the perspective of if they do this only in the minor leagues, I think it's the greatest thing ever because – if anybody's ever done a scouted a minor league game or gone to a minor league game and it's really, really hot out, and all of a sudden you start getting pitchers in the 11th and the 12th, 13th, 14th inning that are not supposed to pitch that day and are really <laughs> not good in general or certainly not the strongest and are not mentally prepared to play that day, you get some really terrible baseball that you sit through. And now I would much prefer doing something like a home run derby where I could actually still scout the player's ability to hit it over the fence rather than putting a ghost runner at second. But I do, uh, there would be a lot of times I would be very happy that all of a sudden a ghost runner is scooting to second base rather than having to watch four more innings of bad baseball. Well, and I, I get it from the perspective of teams if you want to do this in the minor league because you don't want to be burning through relievers in a 17, 18 inning game. Like they're there to, to serve the major league club. So. You know, if you just kept it in the minors, uh, I could easily be talked into this as something that's uh, good for the players. But I still go back to the home run derby idea would be great. All the fans would dig it. You could get, like, the big sluggers out there. The scouts could still scout the guy's power in the raw. I mean, I just I think everybody wins with that. I think it would be a lot better way to, do, to conclude a game than, than this, you know, kind of crazy solution. If we've got to actually well, decide it, it, right. for it. It's not like there's no precedent for that. In fact, the NHL does the same thing. They do it over time, and then they have shootouts. Uh, you know, bring in uh, bring in your good pitcher against some uh, home run hitters, and 
have a have a home run derby. It'd be entertaining people to watch it. I I also think that you know there's a big difference between, and I think very few people would have a problem with these type of ideas being implemented at the minor league level. I think we all have a problem with it at the major league level, where the games really matter and right. you know a win and a loss maybe shouldn't come down to. Uh, you know, the big DH on your bench, uh, Pedro Alvarez being able to pull, you know, home runs, you know, and, and not, you know, the rest of the team. But I don't know. Anything else, guys? That's 162 yeah. regular game season. I, uh, I'm less good. I don't think there's a problem. I think I think what we've discussed is right on. But if, if game 145 between the Minnesota Twins and the Padres is decided on a uh, – on a home run derby, nobody's going to care. Yeah, that is true. All right, uh, Eric, I, I got to have a, a little bit of a – I got to get your take on something. Um, Homer Bailey, talk to me a little bit. Uh, yeah, so came out yesterday. He had surgery to remove bone chips in his elbow. Uh, basically, the story was he's not going to throw for four to six weeks, which uh, the hope is I – that he would still be ready for the start of the season. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's getting to a point where, uh, I mean, I was looking at it yesterday, Rich Hill's made more appearances than Bailey has since 2014 that, wow. uh, he just has not been around since signing, uh, the huge deal that he did, uh, that started in 2014. So, uh, and what's hard for the Reds is he's not even into the biggest of that deal yet he'll make 19 million this year then it goes up to 21 23 and then ends with 25 um and that's a that's a lot of dead money to have for a team like the reds who have the Votto contract uh and who have uh, a lot of other money locked up other places that might be the worst contract in baseball right now i I read somewhere where somebody said because you'll have reds fans complain about the Votto contract um and i think it's been pretty well documented. He's a he's still a bargain at the price you're paying him. And someone said, you know, teams like the Reds can handle a deal like that when the player's productive. What they can't handle is a second deal like that where you get no production from it. And it's not just Mazzarocco, or excuse me, Bailey this year. If Devin Mazzarocco can't come back, he's in line to make uh, – Right around oh eleven or not eleven, he's going to make seven point two this year, and then thirteen next season. Um, so if neither of those guys get back on track, they could have like thirty five million dollars in dead money uh, next year, and twenty eight to thirty this year. Not to mention Brandon Phillips, who won't leave. <laughs> he's like he the house guest on New Year's yeah, Eve that it, won't get the hint. Like, all right, dude, the party's over. We turned out the TV. Like, go home. <laughs> He's like, no, man, I'm going to have another drink. I'm good. (laughs) He's had some options. You will – I mean, watching Red's Twitter the night he declined again to be traded to – I think it was Atlanta this time. Uh, I mean, you have fans who are ready for him to go and have been ready for a few seasons. And then, honestly, you still have kind of some casual fans who see him as the face of the franchise, best defensive second baseman in baseball still. And so there's a pretty wide gap uh, in the fan base on Phillips – so what it, you know? I guess the last question I got to ask on Sissy is just what, where is this team now? Because it seems like they're kind of half in and half in, half out rebuilding. You know, you haven't sold uh, Votto. You've got a couple of the bad contracts, as you mentioned. Phillips, you can't deal or haven't been able to deal. But you had a couple pieces you could have moved this winter, and you didn't. Kind of, where are your thoughts on the Reds? 
Yeah, so the team has said 2018 is their target to be competitive again. Maybe not with the division. You've got the Cubs there, but at least for a wild card spot. Um, I Votto has strongly hinted at he is not going anywhere. He's got a no-trade clause. Uh, Citrant Rosecrans said possibly Toronto he would be willing to go to, but outside of that, um, it sounds like he's going to be a red through the end of his career, which I'm, I'm fine with. Um, the the two big pieces of this are Bailey and Mezzarocco. They've, you know, got some young players at some key spots coming up. Nick Senzel is going to be the third baseman of the future. It looks like so that's that'll be solid. Jose Peraza in the middle infield. So some of the pieces are there. I don't expect Adam Duvall to do what he did again last season. But uh, depending on what happens with with those two guys, I think it's going to go a long way toward determining what the next handful of years looks like. Mark, anything? Well, you, you know what, the, the funny thing about the Bailey contract, I bet if we're having this conversation 2013, boy, that looks like a good deal. So, uh, I mean, he, he coming off a career year, strikeout numbers are going up, two straight years and 200 innings. You're probably thinking, great, 27 years old, we got we got this rock foundation at a, at, at a good price for somebody who was pitching the way he was, and then... He just falls apart. That's baseball. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the performance plus to a lot of fans. He's the reason they didn't re-sign Johnny Cueto. Right. Uh, which, I mean, that was a, a huge debate at the time, and obviously Cueto's been the more valuable guy up to this point. But, yeah, like you said, Mark, it's hard to, to fault them for that decision at the time. It's also a great – Although, you know, the good the, – the, oh, I'm sorry, go no, ahead, no. Brian. Mark, go ahead. Come on. Well, you know, the nice thing about – where the Reds are looking to compete in 2018 is right now the National League has has three or four good teams and then meh. So, you know, you get some of these young guys that can produce. You still have Votto. Maybe Bailey comes back. You have uh, DeScolfini or DeScolfini, that, uh, the guy that had a good year last year. You know, in two or three years, maybe this is an 84-win team. That might get you into the wild card in the National League in two years. So I don't think they're a disaster, but, you know, boy, you'd like to see him come back and be healthy and maybe maybe earn some money from that contract. Since he's just an interesting team to me because it feels like they're maybe at their the worst situation for the franchise right now, but their situation could look a heck of a lot better in six months if – Duvall is for real. Hamilton takes a little bit of a step forward. Some of the young pitching is good. Uh, Lorenzen and, and Iglesias, or, what, or whatever his last name is, are kind of solidify the bullpen. Sinzel has a good year. All of a sudden, he gets close to the major leagues. You know, this team could look a lot better in six months. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's the, the potential for the starting pitchings there. Uh, two guys who fans saw a little bit last year, Cody Reed and Robert Stevenson, or guys, they're hoping to be mid to top of the rotation starters. They they struggled, uh, I mean, when they came up last year. Uh, but depending on what those two do, and then Amir Garrett, who's a guy, a uh, pitcher who was in A most of last year, uh, was a basketball player, I think played at Florida State. Uh, uh, so he hasn't been pitching that long, but, but there's guys that depending on them, uh, could really change the rotation in the next couple of years. Yeah, there's a lot of talent in that organization. I don't think people talk about it enough. Guys, uh, one more uh, topic I want to get into before we dive into Pakoda, but uh, I, I got to ask you a little bit. Uh, I'm probably a little close to the situation with the Nationals and the closing situation, but is there any team that it feels like has 
left something on their shopping list more than Washington and filling that role? Uh, am I missing something being this close to it? Uh, Mark, maybe I'll tag you in uh, to start, but help me out. What am I missing or am I missing something? I don't think you're missing anything. I mean, you got to hope Sean Kelly. Oh, you did get Joe Nathan on a minor league contract. He He's actually older than I am, so I'm cheering for him. <laughs> You don't see a lot of 42-year-olds. You know, my shoulder's ready. It's fully rested uh, and and might be as good as Joe Nathan now. But I, I assume it's going to be Sean Kelly. And, you know, it's a guy that's had three good years of high strikeout numbers and, and you know, at least decent uh, secondary numbers. I assume he's going to be the guy. And, uh, of course, relievers are, are volatile, and he's, in what, 33 I would be a little nervous if I were the Nationals and I was, uh, you know, somewhere in the middle of my window and I had the Cubs to look after and and all these Super Bowl pens lying around. But I don't see why you have Sean Kelly. He's a good pitcher. I mean, he was good last year. He's good the year before. He's good the year before. Seems to be fairly reliable. If I were a Nationals fan, I would be pretty mad they didn't make another that seems to be kind of the motif of of the nationals so my interpretation there just seemed to be a step behind and i think not not finding some bullpen help here was was an unnecessary error eric yeah i mean i would say first of all thank you for drew storen i know he didn't end up there last year <laughs> but i'm excited to see he can't hurt the reds bullpen so he is one of the nicest uh, human beings yeah i'll say that so uh, yeah, so I mean, I'm excited to see that. But yeah, it's uh, for a team that I mean, on paper seems so close and has been close with with you know their uh, playoff runs in the past few years. It just it seems like with the guys available, it would have been worth an investment. I know. Uh, I mean, they got talked about a lot. Top end relievers, the the market has just gone crazy on them. Uh, but with in, in the window that they have now. Uh, yeah, I mean, it really seemed like it would have uh, been worthwhile to to snag somebody. Yeah, I think the most frustrating thing to me is not necessarily that they got outbid for you know Kenley Jansen or Chapman or you know even Melanson to a degree, but th- there are a lot of very solid relievers that are going for reasonable prices the last shoot the last four or five weeks. And Joe Blanton is a nice reliever who's still on the market. I just I feel like they've missed out on an oppor- a lot of opportunities to add a Brad Ziegler or you know, a David Hernandez, who isn't fantastic, but is a solid reliever. Or, you know, a half dozen other names that are, you know, maybe not Sergio Romo. I mean, not the best, but guys that really could add to your bullpen. And, you know, maybe you don't have that one dominant guy at the end of the game, but maybe you have six really good relievers that you can count on to get you to the playoffs type of a thing. I think that's really where they, the biggest error they made. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Ryan. Like I said, I do like Kelly, and they have oh, what's the other guy's name? Uh, Trinan's good. I mean, there's uh, nothing wrong with Trinan. Thank you. You know, there, there's some good arms with some good strikeout numbers, and and I think he'll put up good numbers for you guys. But you know, you're relying on a lot of guys in high pressure situations. I haven't necessarily pitched there before, and and, and I. And, and they have some walk problems. I think I think your bullpen's going to put a lot of guys on base. 
Yeah, that's a great point. It would, yeah, it would be nice if the Nationals would assign somebody, even if he doesn't have high K numbers, that can come in and you can count on to uh, to throw a clean inning. And I think you're going to see a lot of not clean innings. Now these guys can strike people out, so you'll be okay most of the time. But you know, you're in a very competitive division with another team that's that's got a you know a similar talent level. And when you're in the playoffs, you have two other teams you're going to face that have very similar or maybe a little better talent levels. And it just seems penny-wise and pound-foolish if you're in the position the Nationals are in. Well said. Ryan on their MLB.com depth chart, I mean, they've got six starters listed. Is there? Could you see one of those back-end rotation guys being sent to the pen as a late-inning guy? I just don't know who you would, who you would send back there is the problem. I like your mm-hmm. idea. But I, I just I don't know that I think Joe Ross might eventually become a reliever if he doesn't get better with the changeup. But I don't think that they're going to change his role when he's had shoulder issues the last couple of years and he's had some injury trouble. I don't think they're going to do that. It, if they were going to do it, I think they would be doing it now rather than midseason. But I, I mean, I still don't think the closers on the roster and, and maybe it ends up, you know, the same type of situation where they pick up a Melanson type, you know, mid-year. But uh I think you said it perfectly, Mark. Or a just, Drew Storen. Yeah, good point. Good point. So, but I think Mark nailed it. Just it feels very penny wise and pound foolish for a team with a hundred fifty million dollar payroll to have had Chris Heisey and uh, Stephen Drew as their only free agent acquisitions this off season. Well, as a Tigers fan, I feel your pain, Ryan. Yeah, and, and let's you know, our, our starting. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, let's use that as a segue because that might be a good way to start talking a little bit about uh, the Pakoda rankings. If uh, it, I think Eric's going to lead us a little bit with that, but uh, and talk a little bit about some of these teams because I'm I, I'm want to hear what's going on in the AL particularly. Yeah, so in the AL, uh, you know, Pakoda came out this week. Uh, it looks like uh, your projected division winners would be the Red Sox, the Indians, and the Astros. Uh, Astros projected for the most wins in the AL with 94. Uh, and then it looks like your wild cards would be a mix of Seattle, uh, Tampa, which it has at 84 wow. wins. Uh, uh, there's always the Pakota Tampa Bay jokes. Um, and then Texas expected to be in that mix too. So, uh, Yankees at 82 wins. Those seem to be your top handful of teams in the AL, uh, from Pakota's perspective. Mark, go ahead. I'm just, some really surprising numbers there to me. Well, really, when I, I, I I'm surprised with Tampa again. I don't think they're very good. I continue to think they're not very good. I don't think they're an 84 win team. I don't think they're the third or fourth best team in the American League. I, 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 I don't think I can disagree with any of the division winners. I think Boston's a class of the East. I think Cleveland is substantially better than Detroit. Uh, Dakota has Minnesota winning 80 games. Uh, if I can think of something embarrassing to do to come on, if Minnesota the Minnesota Twins win eighty this year, I I, I might consider doing it, uh, <laughs> because uh, you know they're not very good. Uh, Houston, I think, is the class of the American League. I like them. I like I like all the signings they did, cutting down on their strikeouts. I'm not surprised Dakota likes them. They seem to like teams that don't strike out a ton, and and Houston go is going from a team that strikes out a ton to not. And although I think, as Eric said, the kind of milieu of possible wildcard teams in the American League, I think, is pretty accurate. You have Seattle and Texas and Tampa and the Yankees and Toronto. 
maybe the Tigers and the Angels are all these kind of low 78 to 86 win teams. And it, it really just kind of depends on how all those teams perform. So, you know, I, I'm a little offended with them picking the Tigers third and 78 wins, but <laughs> I may be biased. But really what I, I think what stands out is the American League has three really good teams and six or seven eh teams. Baltimore projected with the second worst record in the American League. I think that's the one that really jumped out to me, to be honest. But I think they had them at 72 and 90. I mean, uh, yeah, 73 and 89. I mean, I know their pitching is, is only the Royals are projected to have a worse record. I think they have a, a vendetta against. I think Pico- Bill Pakoda must have hated the Royals, and that's <laughs> why they uh, they're always picked so poorly. But I really thought the Orioles got the uh, short end of the stick. I mean, that team is still really going to hit. I mean, I know their pitching staff is is weak, but the pitching staff's been weak for ten years, and they still seem to win with Buck. And their bullpen's still going to be very good. I I don't know. I mean, I see them a lot closer to kind of that math range that you just described. Kind of that. You know, if a couple things go their way, they could still win eighty-four or five games. I mean, I, I don't know that, and, and I don't see I, it. In, I don't see it in Tampa or Minnesota either. I really, Minnesota feels like at least a year early. I mean, they might hit, but I sure don't see that pitching staff doing anything. Uh, a, a lot of, not a lot of, but a significant amount of value being given to the Twins for their fielding runs above average. It looks like Dakota's got them pegged for the second best defense in the AL behind Seattle. And they do have some good defenders. I mean, certainly, and if Buxton, you know, breaks out this year and moving Sano could certainly help as well. Right. I just don't think, I, I don't think they can pitch and I don't think they're going to hit enough to win 80 games. Anything kind of jump out to you, Eric? No, I mean, I think you guys hit most of it. Yeah. I mean, kind of the, the usual suspects are there in terms of who, uh, Pakoda seems to not like, but yeah, I mean, like you guys said, the, the division winner seem pretty right on and it wouldn't surprise me at all if this is how, how the, the chips fell. It feels to me like all those math teams that you just described, it's going to be whoever pitches out of that group of six or seven teams. Cause mm-hmm. it feels like all their pitching yep. is pretty weak and it's whoever can get some mediocre pitching. Cause a lot of them can hit. Right, AL games should be fun for offense this year. So, so maybe people will stop complaining about how boring the game is, and we won't have to have ghost runners in the American League. <laughs> uh, Eric, how about you give us the National League now? Yeah, so National League, your division winners would be the Mets, Boo. Uh, the Cubs, and the Dodgers. Dodgers predicted with ninety-nine wins, which is uh, easily the uh, highest projected win total. Uh, and then it looks like your wild card would be the Nationals and the Giants. Uh, and then Pittsburgh's within five games of that. But Pakota seems to think there's five pretty solid teams in the league. And then everyone else is a, a clear step behind. What did they have for Colorado? I was very curious and I don't remember. Well, I looked it up and I don't remember. 76. 76 and 86, fourth in the division. Because they've been getting a lot of love as kind of a sleeper this year. Uh, yeah, it, uh, they uh, have Arizona ahead of Colorado, uh, only finishing ahead of the Padres, who are predicted to have the worst record in the NL. I think the worst record in baseball by Pakoda. 
and I think everybody's talked about it, but I'll throw it out there first. 99 wins for the Dodgers? Uh, I don't know. I mean, they're certainly a good team, and I know their, their division is, is certainly one of the probably the weakest or one of the weaker ones, but that uh, that really jumped out to me as, wow, they're eight or nine games better than the Cubs, supposedly? I don't buy it. Uh, I don't buy it, first of all, because – you are going to get the eighth, the ninth, and ten pitchers in the Dodgers. That's by design. I mean, that's you know, that's the way they design their pitching staff. Is we have all this money, so we're just going to throw money at the ten best starters we can find with injury concerns, and we're just going to mix and match four of them plus Kershaw. And will that work? Sure. I mean, they're going to win ninety some odd games. I think ninety nine really high, especially because I think Arizona is going to be better. They're going to be a mediocre team, but they're going to be better. Uh, Colorado is going to hit a lot, and they have some, I hate to use the word interesting, they have some interesting arms in their rotation. And uh, yeah, San Diego, well, they're a baseball team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it looks like with the breakdown of it, they've got uh, LA projected to have the best defense in the NL uh, they're tied with the Cubs in true average for the best offense. And then uh, runs against, they are the only team in the NL projected to give up fewer than 600 runs next season. Wow. Hmm. That's interesting. I was also. I mean, there's really not a team close to that mark. It's, uh, they're at 595, and it looks like the second lowest is 648 for the Mets. Wow. I mean, that's a third of a run a game. That's a lot. I and mean, that's a huge difference. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was also a little surprised at the Nationals and the Mets numbers. Not necessarily that they favored the Mets over the Nationals. I could certainly see the case for that. But I, I'd be very surprised if one of those teams, if not both of them, win 90 games. Oh, I wouldn't either. I mean, they're both really similar really good teams i think i i think i like the nats a little better i think I, I think your rotation's a little deeper i think your offense is a little better but the mets boy they sure look like a good team especially if they're healthy and you know maybe maybe you deduct some wins for uh you know health concerns with their rotation but i think the nl east is going to be a pretty fun pretty fun division to watch i mean atlanta is not going to be as bad as they were philadelphia is kind of on the upswing you know, Miami is perennial, perennially, this is going to be the year when they finally start putting it together. Maybe this will be the year they start at least getting into the uh, the 80, 80-ish win seasons. Yeah, I, I will say I'm not too sad about 76 projected wins for the Cardinals. That, <laughs> they They have the Cardinals only projected for two more wins than the Reds next season. I mean, that's crazy, right? I, I mean, I know the Cardinals have some big flaws and have some problems, and they certainly overachieved offensively last year. Um, but, wow, that really, I mean, that team just somehow wakes up and wins 81 games, right? I mean. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to imagine they're going to get more than 76 wins. But really does not like the Cardinals' defense. Uh, it looks like it's the second worst projected defense behind the Phillies. Uh, and so, I mean, that might be a big part of it, but yeah, just it's until I see it, it's going to be tough for me to believe they're not going to win 80 games in a season. Yeah. That rotation is too good for 76 wins. And they still got enough hitting. I mean, geez, I don't know. 
Wow. Coda's weird. <laughs> but it's also good. I mean, that's the thing that's frustrating is you sit there and yeah. you're like, no, no. And then, you know, most of the time, not every time, but most of the time it's right. So, I mean, we can obviously point back yeah. to Kansas City a couple of years ago and uh, all the, you know, the major flaws that they've had. But unless a team really has a fluke one way or the other, injuries or something. For the Tampa Bay Rays. I, I just I don't see it with the Rays at all. I see them as a seventy-five win team. I, I just I don't see it with them at all. Yeah, I'm not impressed with the Rays either. Of course, the they Atlanta get Braves. I was going to say the Braves are projected to have one more win than the Cardinals, so I, I would be shocked if that happened. It'd be super fun though, because <laughs> they're going to. I mean, Atlanta, and it's the same thing with Philadelphia. If they get off to good starts with with some of these veterans that they've signed or they've traded for this offseason, I. I would assume they're just going to be dumping them all for players. So, you know, they might start out and do it, you know, play 500-ish baseball to begin with. But, you know, they're going to be playing like 350 baseball, I would think, August and September. Well, you would hope they would dump those veterans and continue their kind of real rebuilding process. I I actually like what both of both Atlanta and Philadelphia are doing right now as far as building up their system. So I kind of hope they do get it because, you know, I – I, I enjoy watching good young teams, so since I have a team that's uh, in the geriatric ward, I might as well enjoy other people's good young teams. <laughs> uh, anything else in the National League, guys? No, uh, nothing. But I don't think anything that sticks out to too much. Yeah, it's just, except for the NL, except for the Mets and the Nationals, it's just not that interesting. I, I, th- I think you can, it, it just isn't. I was going to say 86 wins for the Giants. you think that's a little high, or does that sound about right? Uh, I think that's probably about right. They can pitch, man, and they got the best manager in baseball yep. for my money. Or one of the pitch, top three, managing. anyways. Pretty, I, I assume they have their – I haven't looked at Dakota for them yet, but I assume they probably are have a pretty good fielding runs against uh, above average and – you know they're a good uh, team in a mediocre division. They they should they should feast on the Padres and the Diamondbacks. Yeah, second best fielding runs above average in the league, just behind the Dodgers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, I, I could see eighty five, eighty six, eighty seven wins pretty easily for them. But I I don't see ninety, so I I, I don't think that number's out of whack too much. But that that feels all right. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. They're gonna pitch, that's for sure. All right, guys. Well, what else should we need? Oh, should we cover this week? Hmm. Well, I certainly, if nothing else, we got to talk about Eric's uh, new show. I certainly, I haven't had the opportunity yes. to talk to you since uh, you've kind of started it up. I don't think you've actually been on the pod with me since since then. So, uh, how about first and foremost, just give yourself a plug and uh, tell everybody the show and uh, describe it. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, so about uh, a couple months ago, started a podcast, the On Baseball Writing Podcast. Uh, you can find it in iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, basically I was sitting around one day and I had all these questions I wanted to ask baseball writers about writing, not necessarily the game, but how they do what they do. And so I uh, have had the chance to talk to a, a handful of writers now just about how they got started, uh, how they uh, write stories, how they come up with ideas and um, yeah, I've had some some great conversations with people who have given a, a lot of good advice on how they got to, to where they're at. Just had one uh, with a Jonah Carey release uh, the last couple of days. So uh, lately, uh, Rob Nyer, Jonah Carey, Grant Brisby have been the last three episodes, so just a lot of good stuff lately. 
And what has been the best piece of, I don't know if advice or the best thing that one of these writers has said to you in, in the many interviews you've now done? I think just about every uh, guest to a person has said their biggest piece of advice is read a lot of good baseball writing and and write every day if you can. And that's just been consistent across the board. Uh, some of the bigger names have stressed uh, to people because uh, they're assuming other writers are listening just how much luck was involved in them getting to where they're at. The right person happened to see the story at the right time. They made the right connection, met the right person. Um, and that uh, for all the, the talent you can have doing this, sometimes it really does come down to uh, – yeah, just just dumb luck of being in the the right place at the at the right time, and so that uh, uh, across the thirty episodes, that seems to be the most consistent advice people have been giving. Uh, Mark, do you have questions? I'd love to tag you in. Uh, well, first of all, at the risk of sounding like a fanboy, it's a really good show, Eric, and you should be really proud. <laughs> it really, I really is. enjoy Thank you. It, it really it, is. You're, you're, you do a great job with your interviews. Very entertaining. It's a crisp 25 to 30 minutes, which I like because that, that fits in with trying to get kids ready in the morning. Uh, how do you get guests? Are you just reaching out to random people? Do you have connections? How do you go about doing that? Yeah, so it's uh, starting off, it was just initially reaching out to people. Rob Maines was the first guest. He's been on this show a number of times, um, and so he was gracious enough to do that. Uh, pretty early on, I had R.J. Anderson on, who is at Baseball Prospectus and then is at CBS Sports Now, uh, and he was very open with, if you need an email, if you need a, a contact, just let me know. And so a handful of people he's been instrumental in getting. Uh, and then uh, Ben, uh, those first five or six episodes was nice enough to come on. And uh, yeah, a few of those people who came on early, I think, went a long way toward legitimizing it as, you know, somewhere people go to talk about this kind of thing. And so, yeah, it's Twitter DM, email, just uh, uh, I think it's been surprising to me, you know, a handful of people now uh, asking me, hey, I'd love to come on. Would there be a time it would work? And so that's made it a little bit easier, but uh, we'll see how long it can go. I mean, I was doing three a week and realized I was going to run out of people pretty quick. So trying to keep it to two now, and we'll see if I keep it going in season. But, yeah, uh, inviting people to talk about themselves for a half an hour hasn't been too hard of an ask yet. <laughs> and, Eric, has there been anything that uh, that you've learned from kind of doing these interviews that's helped in your writing at, at BP and whatnot? Yeah, I think – Rob Nyer was big on this, and I've I've seen it stressed recently. Um, he said honestly, his big thing that he sees in baseball writing today is two thousand word articles that should be eight hundred word articles. Um, <laughs> and so I think the thing I've been paying the most attention to is uh, what can I cut? What needs to be here? Where is this too wordy? Um, and so yeah, he really I think stressed that aspect of it. Um, yeah, and honestly, in my own writing, I think just hearing it repeated so often, you just have to do it as often as you can. Uh, when you don't feel like it, there's going to be nights you don't go out. There's going to be opportunities to do stuff with friends that maybe you don't do because this is something you're going to try and uh, make a regular part of your life. And so I think just realizing the grind it can be to try and break into this uh, kind of helps you uh, realize that this is something you have to, to take seriously if you want to get somewhere with it. Great call. Uh, Mark, any more? Because I have just one final question for Eric myself. No, uh, no. Go, those were the two big things I wanted to know. Well, and those were the two, the two that I had. My, my big one is just who's been your favorite interview so far. 
Uh, I think I've admitted this on the show. I was really excited Carson Sestouli came on. Um, that was a good he one. He was early on one of the people <laughs> I definitely wanted to get on. And just because he brings such a different perspective to it. Um, you know, I talked to a number of people who it's – I was a, a lawyer and I came into baseball writing. I was a statistician. I was in economics, which, I mean, it all makes sense. And then to have someone who was – I studied – poetry at a graduate level and uh, it's just a a very different approach uh but i mean he's taught writing he's been an editor and so yeah he had a lot of uh good stuff to say in terms of advice from a a little bit different perspective well how about uh one more plug for the show before uh before we get out of here yeah, yeah. Check out on baseball writing uh, again. You can subscribe to it uh, most places you listen to podcasts. Uh, always appreciate it if you would rate and review the show. That really helps me out. And uh, yeah, we should have uh, a couple episodes coming next week. Uh, still lining those up, um, but would love to have you you check it out. There's been some uh, good stuff lately. Yeah, it's a fantastic show, and I want to reiterate uh, definitely Mark's point that uh, it's a great listen. You keep it to twenty thirty minutes, so it's you know. Uh, work out at the gym, you know, drive to work, whatever it is. It's kind of that perfect time frame. So, uh, very impressed with the show, and just you know, congratulations, great job. Oh, thank you, I appreciate it. And yeah, that was honestly a goal of mine is to keep it around thirty minutes. If I've got a particular person on, we might go a little bit longer. Uh, but yeah, I'm definitely a fan of the. Uh, I want to knock most of it out on my commute. That's how I like to do podcasts. So uh, they they should stay around that length. Very cool. Uh, guys, I think that, uh, I mean, I could. we've got a lot more topics we could cover, but I think this is a good place for us to kind of stop for the week. Uh, we always end the show the same way we began. Uh, so how about if you guys uh, say goodbye to the audience, uh, where they can find your writing, if you want to plug your show again, obviously, and uh, kind of any, anything and everything in between. Uh, let's start with Mark. I think we've started with Eric a couple times in a row. So Mark, uh, say goodbye All to right. the Internet. Goodbye, Internet, guys. It was great to talk some baseball with you for an hour uh it's always a pleasure ryan to get a chance to be on the podcast uh you know i I say this i think every time i come on it's uh you know it's just great to have a forum where i get to talk to to people about baseball it's not something you get to do every day it's not something everybody gets to do and there's just a lot of great writing on banished to the pen and you look not only the articles are great but how many people have graduated to bp and to other sites uh uh, I write at Banish to the Pen. I'm hoping to write a lot more this year than I did last year. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SharkMGS and listen to Eric's show. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you for uh, coming on. Eric, same thing? Yep. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Eric Roseberry. Uh, again, on Baseball Writings, the podcast. Uh, weekly, I'm at BP. We are four weeks into our uh, fantasy preseason uh, draft prep. So as you get ready for fantasy stuff, definitely check out what we got going on. Uh, I'll still be at Red Reporter covering the Reds this season. Uh, and hope to pop in on Banish to the Pen from time to time. So, uh, yeah, a couple places you can uh, check my stuff out. When do you sleep, Eric? Because you got more projects and a family and everything else, man. When do you actually <laughs> take a nap, man? Uh, from time to time. So I usually I'll either write first thing in the morning or if I get five to six hours of sleep, I'm okay for a night or two. So sometimes you get those, those late night runs in, but yeah, I mean, starting at BP, I've definitely cut back a number of places to get a, a weekly article out for them. I mean, you're starting to become the John Cena of baseball writing here. You've got more gigs than anybody I know. <laughs> 
But yeah, uh, yeah, if you want to offer me something, I'll take it. So send them in. <laughs> but in all seriousness, Eric, uh, congratulations again on the show. Congratulations on all the good work at PP and everywhere. And uh, thank you guys both for joining me tonight. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan, for having us on. And that was episode 67 of the Banish to the Pen podcast with my special guest, Mark Sands and Eric Roseberry. Uh, thank you to both of them for joining me this evening. Uh, that was a lot of fun covering a lot of topics. And uh, goodness, we are only a handful of days away from pitchers and catchers. So uh, we got a lot more content coming from you at or coming to you for um, Banish to the Pen. So definitely check us out, uh, bookmark us, and uh, check out the content. So. With that, uh, this episode is a wrap. One final reminder, please, be nice to your fellow listeners.